Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. Well, God bless you. If you turn your Bibles to uh, Revelation 18, Revelation 18, we just read Revelation 18, 1 to 8. Then I'm going to ask you if you remember this song. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Yeah, yeah. That's a moaner, isn't it? You're saying, what in the world is the matter with you today? Now, listen, let me just share this with you. That, that little uh, beautiful song was the, uh, the, the, the redneck hymn, I think it was, of, of fellows who ran into bad luck. If I can just say this, we're reading a book that has got a lot of gloom, despair, and agony in it. Do you know what I'm saying? We're, we're reading that book. And as I was thinking it through, I remember not long ago, there were some, some uh, young men and women who were expressing to me that they really didn't like to hear about the end times. They really weren't into prophecy and all that. They really didn't want to listen to that because it was so depressing. And they were pretty sure that Jesus was coming back. And I said, and the problem with that is, <laughs> uh, what they were saying was this. That because we are keeping that, that narrative going all the time, that story going all the time, they were losing hope. They were saying, look, I, you know, all I'd, I'd like to get married. I'd like to have a family. I'd like to, and they were talking about the things they'd like to do, but they said, I don't feel like doing any of it because any moment it could all fall apart. And I said, that may be a problem with understanding what the coming of Jesus is really all about. But the coming of Jesus is always preceded by the tribulation. So when we would read about the tribulation, they would assume that's the, the, the lot they have in life. That's what they're going to get. And so gloom, despair, and agony on me. What's the point? I don't, I don't want to hear anymore. You know, I thought what I'd like to do is take a reality check today. Before we go any further with uh, Revelation 18, let's take a reality check. So in your outline, let's take a look at it there. You've got a few things to fill in. We're going to start... Revelation 18.4, listen to what it said. Revelation 18.4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive her plagues. Now, once again, you can't come out of something you're not in. So this indicated to me that Babylon, that wicked old Babylon that it is, that the, the people of God were in Babylon. They were sharing in Babylon. Then I remembered something. The children of Israel were taken, I should say the, uh, Judah and Benjamin, were removed from Jerusalem and all of southern uh, Israel because of their idolatry, because of their sin, because of the things they were doing. They were moved to Babylon. They went into exile into Babylon, and we have great books that come from that. Ezekiel, Daniel, those are all good books that come from that, that period of time. They were moved there, and they were told by Jeremiah the prophet that when you get there, just hang on. You're going to be there for 70 years while I give the, ru- the, the, the land a chance to recover from the things you haven't given it. I'm going to give the, the land that chance to recover, and as you're over there. I want you to go ahead, build houses, uh, get along there, uh, marry, have children, have a family, raise all that. That's what he told him to do. Then he said, I'm going to release you in 70 years. So at the end of those 70 years, when Cyrus now is taking over, the children of Israel got the opportunity to go back to the promised land. The wife is going to get a chance to go back to her house that's just been cleaned up by the father. But many of them chose not to go back. They had done what he said to do, and they'd grown comfortable living in Babylon. Matter of fact, it looks like that they had become those who loaned a lot of money. 
They became quite sharp in business affairs. They were doing very well in Babylon, and it would be years. Sometimes some of them would never leave Babylon. They were going to stay in Babylon. Now, I want to say, was that their option? Sure, it was an option. But that's not where God said he would bless them. The blessing, he said, would be in the promised land. That's where the covenant is. That's where the promises are. That's where everything is. Yet the people were not choosing to go back. So based on that, that little uh, narrative he'd given earlier, look at this one now. He's calling on his people to get out of Babylon. And they're not leaving. Some will, some won't. But what I want to share with you in our timeline, if this is the beginning of the tribulation and this is the middle of the tribulation and this is the end of the tribulation where Jesus comes back again, this narrative is being given right about here. This account is being given right here. You're not here. You follow where I'm coming from? This isn't about you. This was about all those who had received the mark of the beast. This is about all those who were worshiping that image. It's about that. That's what this is all about. So if I can say, for those of you who are living back over here, before the tribulation, stop trying to make this the account of now. It isn't. It is about a different time. It's a time ahead of you. Now, it doesn't mean you don't be serious. There are obviously buildups that take place to get us to that at that time. Everybody follow me? There are obviously buildups. If I can say it this way, unbelievers know that as much as believers do. What do I mean by that? Unbelievers living back here who may not have any notion of the tribulation or even care about the tribulation know that things are coming to a very serious head. Unbelievers are saying something is about to break here. We've borrowed too much money. Something's about to break here. We've made too many commitments we can't keep. Something's going to break here because somebody's got their finger too close to a red button. Something's going to break here, and that's unbelievers who are looking out there. So if I can say, this is something that's going on worldwide. It's our Father who has put into us a great concern about what the future holds. So what I want to do in this reality check today is just a little thing here. We are not now in the tribulation. So if you are reading as if tomorrow What's going to take place is seven trumpets are going to sound and the whole world's going to... That's not now. You're back there. You're back before all of that took place. Everybody with me? We are not now in the tribulation. So if I can say this, I I listened to another one of... Somebody somebody sent me a... um, I guess I call it a message from a um, prophecy watcher. Now, you know, 1973 is when lots of things, uh, 1972, 73, when lots of things were going on in the world. Jesus movement came out about that time. There was all kinds of things happening. Uh, Walvard was writing books at that time. and uh, Everybody was getting concerned about the Middle East, what's going on in the Middle East, and the rapture, and uh, um, um, late great Trib- uh, Hal Lindsey wrote the late great planet Earth. And everybody now is starting to say, whoa, there's a reality to this thing. You mean the Bible's true? Yeah, the Bible's true. Uh, you know, and how long you try to show all the prophecies that talked about Jesus' first coming uh, were accurately fulfilled. Now the second coming, they're going to be accurately fulfilled again. And so there was a, a great movement on. And prophecy teachers came up all over the place. You could find all kinds of prophecy things going on. And wild predictions were made about who's coming, when Jesus is coming, and the tribulation is about this, and it's about to happen here. And this, and all of that went on. And that's when it did produce, with a whole lot of people, a lot of depression. They didn't know what exactly to do with it. I mean, there, there were some who were very excited about Jesus coming back again. But can I say this? You had to be in the less than influent side to appreciate that. If you were affluent, Jesus' look coming back didn't exactly appeal to you. 
It was a good thing. It's all right. You know, it's a nice thing. I'm glad that he's going to do that. But I also have my funds to take care of. I've got to make sure that they're all right. So the less affluent the were, you were, the more you appreciated Jesus coming. Does that make sense? That's what was going on, kids. And now we are living in, I'm going to have to say it this way, I know that we're all talking about how um, the, the economy is not good. It's not that. Kids, it's never been so affluent as it is right now. Think with me. You can reach in your pocket or your purse and you can pull out a computer that sometimes serves as a phone. And there are things you can do with that little handheld thing that's incredible. Some of you have never lived without that. You don't know what it's like. You you can't imagine what it's like to pick up this heavy instrument that's got a twisted up cord that's in the body of a thing there and go, junka, junka, junka. You don't know. I want you to just consider this. You're driving cars all over the place that can do marvelous things. You're living in a very affluent time. And you've got a lot of wonderful things happening all around you. But there are more things that need to be done. What am I saying? You're not in the tribulation. So let's stop acting like we're in the tribulation. This is not time for fear talk. It is time for serious, sober talk. But it's time for us to look and say, let's get back to what we were doing. Enough of the fear stuff. Am I making sense to you? We're not in the tribulation. Let me go to the next thing. So consequently, be careful to know the difference between fact and speculation. This prophecy teacher that was uh, teaching there, he was bringing up the, the red heifers again. We get that just about every, I don't know, three, four, five years. The red heifers are coming back again now, so the red heifers are going to get to Israel. And when the red heifer, you know how many red heifers have gone over there and some kosher priest has said, yeah, except for the white hair right there. That's not a red heifer. And done. We don't have red heifers anymore. Now we get another one. Here comes another red heifer. I know there's a group of red heifers that just left Texas and they're on their way right now. Kids, even if that's true, that doesn't put us in the tribulation. That still puts us before. Do you know how long it's going to take to get those red heifers ready for what has to happen in the tribulation? And I'm not trying to tell you these things couldn't happen overnight. And I'm certainly not telling you the rapture couldn't happen at any moment. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying it's about a mindset. It's about a mindset, kids. Let me go, let me go further with you here because there's more. I want you to, uh, this prophecy teacher was talking about all the signs of his coming. And as he's making speculations about the signs which he's recognizing, he's also bringing the gospel in and saying, you know, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Now, here's my problem I have with that. There is a fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, was raised again to give us salvation. That is a fact. It is a speculation to say that in two years, the red heifers will have been burned and they will have, the temple will be built. That is speculation. Now, let me ask you, when I am listening to a message that's got speculation spoken as if it's fact and gospel spoken of it as if it's fact, why would I believe either one? We have to stop that. We have to stop and get serious for a moment. Is there anything else we're supposed to be doing here? The answer is yes. There's plenty we're supposed to be doing here. But let me, let me go on further. America is not Israel, and it's not the focus of prophecy. Look, years ago I was given a book, uh, Harbinger, I think it was called. And I'm a, you like Harbinger, that's fine. I'm just saying I couldn't get through it. Why? Because everything in Harbinger was about the United States. Kids, the prophecy is not about the United States. It's about Israel. 
The book is about Israel. Everybody with me? So when I keep trying to make the United States into Israel and stop trying to find all the, the scriptures that apply to America, I am not playing fairly with the truth. It's about Israel. Now, when I say that, sometimes people say, oh, you don't love America. I love America. Stop that. If you got that kind of thought, then just get your mind changed. I love America. I love living here. It's a great place. But friends, I can't make Israel into, or can't make America into Israel. It's not true. Let her see. Bad things have been prophesied for the whole world, and the whole world, including believers, has gone through many devastating and deadly times. That was not the tribulation, and Jesus did not come, nor was he coming at that time. The Middle Ages experienced a whole lot of nasty stuff, kids. A whole lot of nasty things. And it would have been very easy for them to say, Jesus is going to come and deliver us from it all. But he wasn't coming then. He didn't come then. Everybody see what I'm saying? And please, I'm not trying to take out of your hope for the Jesus coming again. That's not what I mean at all. I mean simply we need to compare facts with facts. Look at Matthew 24. I just, just put your finger right here in Revelation. Let's go over to Matthew 24 just for a moment. It does seem that when these prophecy teachers come out and they, man, they get so excited, they're enthusiastic in what they're presenting, and they say enthusiastic things, and they say it with such uh, zeal that you think, man, this has to be truth. Nobody could talk that way without there being a lot of, of truth in it because you wouldn't be that zealous if it wasn't true. That's not true either. Uh, you, can, you can be pretty zealous for a lot of things and it not be true, all right? I want you to pick up with me at verse 4. Oh, well, matter of fact, let's pick up at verse 3 to find the context for it. Here we go, Matthew 24, 3. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when, these, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? All right, Jesus says. He answers them. So this is coming from the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody with me? Take heed that no one deceives you. So what's the first thing I'm supposed to take note of? Don't be deceived. Is it possible for me to be deceived? No, I'm 20th century guy. I can weigh out all things, man. I got smarts. I'm really on top of it. I got computers. I got everything. I, yes, it's very easy for me deceived. Let no one deceive you. So he's got to he put a warning for us there. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Is it possible people could be deceived by thinking the Christ has come? Yes. He says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. What? What's not? The end is what? Not yet. If there's wars and rumors of wars. How many of you have ever lived in a time where there are wars and rumors of wars? Anybody? Do you suppose anybody else ever lived in time when there are wars and rumors of wars? Yes. Yes, they have been. My point is to stay wrapped up in that and stay wrapped up in the fear will immobilize you. That's not what we were called to do. We have a calling, we have a purpose, we have something we are supposed to be engaged in, and fear is not it. Let me go further with you. Here's what he said. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. In other words, if this is the tribulation, when do all those things happen? All through here. How long did it been happening? I can count up about 2,200, right? I mean, that has been going on, kids. It has been going on then. The goal is not getting wrapped up in it. The goal is to say, I will occupy until Jesus comes. I've got jobs to do. I've got a purpose to do. And I'm not going to let anything take me off that purpose, not even good news. All right? So these signs may very well take place. 
That only is to help me know, get ready. What was I supposed to be doing anyway? Getting ready, right? All right, let me go another step with this. Let's go to letter D in your outline for now. Until Jesus comes, we have things to do to honor the king. When I come to the end of this section, we'll talk about those. We have every reason to be optimistically sober rather than fearfully forfeiting fatalists. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty cool. Say that with me, will you? Fearfully forfeiting fatalists. That's hard to say. Here's what I mean. We're living by fear. So we're forfeiting the things that we should be doing because we're sure that there's nothing can be done about it. It's all going to come. It's all just fatalism. Kids, that's not what believers have been called to. You are a child of God. And as a child of God, you have the right of prayer. Real prayer. You actually can change things through prayer. You have been given the power and authority of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, to represent him, to be his ambassador, to bring people into the terms of peace that the mighty God says you're going to need or you're going to perish. Kids, that's a big deal. What a high privilege. Let me go on further. So we have every reason to be optimistically sober. You've got so much going for you. Historically, believers have followed one of three patterns. When they see the, the culture taking certain dives, they've had followed one of three patterns. Here's number one. Becoming more like the culture in every way. Creating a new religion with all the words of Christianity tied to it just with new meanings, using the power of the culture or the state and not the Spirit of God to mainstream itself into a political, social power that led to a great loss of faith and identity with Christ, and they replaced him with tradition. That's called syncretism. Syncretism. That's called syncretism where I'm conflating two things. I'm starting to now blend the two things together again. The greatest example of that has been the Roman Catholic Church. That's been the greatest example of that. It's hard to tell sometimes where the Roman Catholic Church begins and the Roman Empire ends. It's hard to tell where the Roman Empire begins and the Catholic Church ends. The Roman Catholic Church begins. Everybody follow what I'm saying? They have followed this pattern for years, often using the state to enforce belief, to enforce doctrine, to persecute many people who didn't agree with Roman Catholic doctrine. That is something that has happened. That's that's all through history. And that caused the departing sometimes of the Eastern Church from the Western Church. They didn't agree with the way the Eastern Church was doing it. They didn't agree that there is only one bishop that could be over the church. They didn't agree with that. And they separated from the Western Church. We don't study the Eastern Church because we're Western people. We should study the Eastern Church. There should be some things we look at in the Eastern Church. Matter of fact, we should study the African Church. There's a whole lot that went on in Africa that we're not apprised of. The tremendous, uh, almost Christian empires that were in Africa also that we don't get apprised of because that's not Western. We do things Western. Our world is a much bigger world than we know about, and it's well worth our study in church history, okay? So let me go to number two. If that one didn't work, and that one did work for a long time, that was the one that was used uh, to, to justify so many things in the world. Um, another, that's for another discussion. Number two, kicking into neutral, abandoning structured church except for the big traditions of life. Uh, that's such as marriage, holidays, death, charitable programs. Doctrine is poison to this group. That's called secularism, secularism. Now, what do I mean by that? That's people who got so frustrated with the way that the church was operating, such as the Roman Catholic Church. They got so frustrated with it. They said, I don't want any more religion. I'm just going to Tower of Babel this thing, man. I'm getting out of it. And they back back out and said, no, I'm becoming secular. I don't, I don't want anything to do with it, except 
I do need to have my children on the roll of going to heaven, so I'll let you baptize my child, but that's the last day I'm showing up. On the day that I need to be married, I want a blessing out of my marriage, so I will come and let you marry my child because I, I want them to be in a good place. And then, now I'm dying. I need somebody to have a, a religious service for me for my unbelieving uncle who doesn't care what happens about anything now. Poor guy is in hell, but I don't think so. I think he's in heaven because he gave you the shirt off his back. So many people have gone atheist and secular. I mean, just practically atheist. They'll still use the word God. I don't, I don't mean they won't at all. But there are many who are honest enough to say, no, I'm not even going to use the name. I don't think he's out there. I don't care about it one way or the other. He doesn't have any influence on my life. doesn't care about anything. That's called secularism. All right. There's another one. Uh, let's go to page two. And that's called separatism. And if I can say that's more the group we're with. We're more known as separatists. We're not part of the Roman Catholic Church. We're not part of the Lutheran Church. We're not part, uh, and by the way, the Lutheran Church did essentially the same thing. They went also with the state. They had they used a lot of state power and became a lot of a state thing. We're not part of the Church of England. We're independent fundamentalists. And what we're saying is we want to believe the Word of God. But now watch carefully. Here's what happened. In separatism, there was the formation of utopian groups to live more solitary, ascetic life, if alone, or a more communist social life, socialist life, if disappointment with the organized church has been witnessed by a group of people. So in other words, there's a group of people who got together, and they're all very dissatisfied with the, with the way the church is going. It didn't matter whether that's the Church of England with the Puritans. It didn't matter if it was the Roman Catholic Church with uh, the Waldenses. It, it didn't matter what group it was. They were dis disappointed with what the church was doing, the way the church was going, and they pulled apart into groups that could meet together, often going into, if it was Europe, they would go into the mountainous regions around, and they would set up entire communities there, and they would learn to live together in those communities. They would learn what that's about. Often it required a socialist, communist way of doing things. In other words, we're going to pool our resources we won't have a single owner of anything. We'll all relinquish private property is what we're doing, and we'll try to live as a community. All right? Another group that did this was solitary in the way they did it. It was called the Desert Fathers. Now, the Desert Fathers are about the second, uh, third, more, more the second century A.D., and they pulled apart to live by themselves out in the desert regions. And they, they wanted to simply practice their faith without the, the darkness of the culture messing with them in any way. They want to be messed with. They'll just live out in those areas there. That group, which was down usually in Egypt, Arabia, and that area, were very, very influential to another group that lived way, way up here in Ireland. And that's how Ireland came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, was through the duplicating of what the Desert Fathers did. Irish priests pulled themselves apart and said, we'll just form communities. And they each one lived in little cells. They each one did their own little thing there until they realized this isn't as, as effective as it could be. And they started forming communities those communities would go outside of a tribal village and they would set up their trades because they were all tradespeople. They did, uh, they did spinning, uh, uh, all just name any trade, and they had it. And they all worked together doing these little trade things, and the villagers started trading with them. And it wasn't long till the villagers were now saying, Who are you? Where'd you come from? And they began to share with them, well, we're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and tribal villages would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how it took place. But it, came pla it took place from a separatist group. Now, you've probably heard of some other uh, separatist groups. Shakers? Heard of the Shakers? Um, if, if you went just across 64 and went over into Indiana just before you get to Evansville, you'd find another little town there. It's a beautiful town. It's called New Harmony. 
Anybody ever been there before, New Harmony, Indiana? New Harmony was a, a, the location of a group of people who came from Pennsylvania. They had set up a, uh, a separatist organization of the Lord Jesus Christ. They found right on the Wabash River there a beautiful location that had great farmland, and they could take their farm stuff, put it on boats, float it down the uh, Wabash River to the Ohio River, and float it right back to Pennsylvania where they would have opportunity to sell their goods. And they became kind of wealthy over the whole thing. That's just not too far away. It's worth it your time to go over there and just see what happened. It ultimately fell apart because here's what happens. Look, if you would, back to your outline again. It often ends as a cult or its own tiny culture relic. Uh, A relic is a museum piece, okay? And that often is what happened to them, that in their culture they became a relic. Um, Let me give you the, uh, the Amish Okay, the, the Amish would be a, such a group as that, if you follow where I'm coming from, all right? That's the way that the believers have usually divided themselves up. Either you went full bore with the culture, did what the culture did, and you're just sort of baptizing the culture into the church, and the church and the culture can't be told apart, or you, you became just totally secular and walked away from the thing, or you became a separatist and, and formed new groups uh, away from the area. Babylon. That's who we're talking about. The fall of Babylon is what we're after here. That's what we're trying to talk about. And what I want to get to is this. Babylon is not the church. Babylon is not the church. Now, some people want to, want to think of, of Babylon as the church. Uh, anything that's organized, they just like to throw bricks at it if they possibly can. The church is not Babylon, and Babylon is not the church. And if I can say that, not even the Roman Catholic Church. Now, it was a big deal during the Reformation to talk about the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope as the Antichrist. They believed that 100%. They were sold that that's what it was. Now, let me share this with you. It is true that Babylon has influenced both Protestant and Roman Catholic folk, but it's not as an organization. Because I want to remind you about one thing. Babylon, or I should say, uh, when you think of Babylon as the church or Babylon as the Roman Catholic Church in, a, in particular, that's too limiting. It's time-bound. Now, let me just do a timeline here. Now I'll go, the, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll do it this way. This post now going to be creation, and the other post going to be the end of it all. Fair enough? All right, you had all kinds of things happening along here. The Roman Catholic Church is here. Babylon was here. This is where Babylon comes from. The model for all faiths, practices apart from God that have to do with what you, your eyes can see, your flesh can desire, and your, your, the pride of life, that's Babylon. And she has influenced nations all over the place. As a matter of fact, the Scriptures say she influenced all the nations of the world. Babylon has influenced them all. Now, it's easy enough if you're just living in Reformation days to look and say, this is all the world we know about. This is all the world there is. Therefore, the Roman Catholic Church has affected the whole world. It's just that there was a little more in the world than Europe. Can we agree with that? There was a little more in the world than Europe and North Africa and Arabia and the old Persian Empire and that sort of thing. There was a little bit more. And they weren't there. But I want you to know, Babylon was. Babylon has never been limited to geography any place. Babylon's free to go anywhere there's a human being that has any lusts or desires. And she has. And she's influenced nations after nation after nation. And then there'd be times when the nation was so influenced by it that they would build a location, a geographical location, and they would build it to satisfy and, uh, all of their own lusts and all their own pleasures. And the city would be Babylon might be named any other thing, but it would be a place where all the lust could be found and 
pleased. She has off and on seduced church leadership and influence, influencers as she had Israel in the promised land, intoxicating them with pride, idolatry, pompous self-righteous ritual, greed, gross immorality, and abusive ethnic arrogance. That's gone on all over the world. It's gone on for a long, long time. Every time that another country would decide to conquer another country, they would take the people that were in that country and because of their ethnic background, abuse them, sold them into slavery, killed them if they didn't need them, used them, used all their resources. That is not an American phenomena. Everybody follow me? That's happened with every nation that ever conquered another nation. Slavery is not an American phenomenon. Nope. That was going on way back in the days of Israel, in the land of Canaan. It was happening in Babylon. It was happening in Africa. It was happening everywhere. Now, you had abusive ethnic things going on, and people use that. Everybody with me? That's Babylon's influence. Now, let's go back to uh, 18. One. No, no, I'll tell you what I do. I'd like you to write these scriptures down, would you? Write these down. Someplace on your outline there, write these down. What am I supposed to do then? I think we ought to be optimistic. There are things that need to be done. There are still people who need to be healed. There are still people who need to be taken care of. There are still people who need to be rescued. Uh, Human trafficking has not stopped. Human trafficking is at large proportions right now. And there are still people who need to be rescued from that. There are still people who need to be rescued from abortion. There are still people who need to be rescued from all the things going on here. And we've got a big task ahead of us. Everybody follow me? Now is not the time for us to back up and start listening to prophetic things and hide ourselves in the corners. No. Let's be about the business. We've got a lot of things that need to be done. Let me say this. If you're a student, now's the time for you to be the best student you ever were in your life. We need you. The things that you're learning, the things that you know about are needed in this world that has become fearful and it's, it's trying as best it can to take us back about 600 centuries. We can't keep doing this, kids. We've got to look ahead and say, how what is going to feed us? What is going to take care of us? Who are the people who are going to be the, the great poets, the great writers? Who are the people who are going to be the great leaders of all things? If it's not you, where are we going to look? Who's got hope but you? Who's got leadership ability but you? Jesus is the greatest leader ever was, and he's taken up his residence in you. You're the best scientists that ever were. We need you. They're coming up with wrong solutions, kids, and they're calling it science, and it's not science at all. Here's the Scripture. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. Here's another one. 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3, 3 through 9. 3 through 9. 2 Peter 3, 3 through 9. Then 2 Peter 3, 10 through 18. I didn't put those together because they've got two different thoughts in them, so I would like to just divide those out. So 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, 2 Peter 3, 3 through 9, 2 Peter 3, 10 through 18, then Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. Then Romans 13, 8 through 14. Romans 13, 8 through 14. Here's what I like to do. 
I'd like for all of us to get to say, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I'm a child of God. I have been authorized to do great things in this world today. And as a child of God, I'm going to start loving my brethren like I never loved them before. I'm going to start showing compassion like I never did before because, Lord Jesus, fill me with your spirit. This is what you would do. I want to be just like Jesus. I want to look like Jesus as he was in that land. I want to look like Jesus in this land. I want to be what Jesus looks like. I'm going to set aside some of the other foolish things I've been engaged in, and I'm going to be engaged in this. I think you'll have to turn your radio off or turn your... um, Whatever medias you're paying attention to, just turn them off. If they're not enjoyable, if they're not something that's telling the truth, then get out of them. Stop living by lies. All right? Last one? No, I I think I did give you the last one. Now let's go to Revelation 18. Here's something I I want you to to remember. Here at about the middle of the tribulation, if you remember when seal 6 was open, heaven opened up. Remember that thing rolled up like a scroll, so now they're all seeing heaven. Everybody that's on the earth from the middle of that tribulation on to here is seeing heaven. It's open to them. They're seeing some of the things that John saw. They're seeing the angels with the trumpets. They're seeing all that, kids, and it's terrifying. Things are being poured out on them that are terrifying. Now, what you look, it says here in 18.1, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. What? He's coming out of there now, and they are seeing him come. And as he's on his way, the whole earth is being illuminated by his presence. Get the picture, if you would. This is like seeing an asteroid brilliant that's showing up and it's illuminating everything. This angel is about to do something that's phenomenal. All right, watch what it goes on to say. And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. Said twice. That's a Hebrew way of doing something. That means completely destroyed. Is fallen means it's down for now and could be rebuilt later. But when you say is fallen, is fallen, you just said it isn't coming back. This is the end of this Babylon. I will not have this anymore. It will not be a part of the kingdom anymore. It says, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen, has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine. How many nations? All the nations. Would that mean the United States? Would that mean Canada? Would that mean the Native Americans before we got here? Yes. That doesn't exclude any nation. And a nation is the word ethnos. And ethnos is the word we get our word ethnic from. So when you're thinking of nations, don't think about geographical boundaries. Don't think about political boundaries. Think about people boundaries. This is people who are connected to each other by a common ethnic background. They are tied together by common ethnic cultures. And all of those cultures, he said, have drunk from that wine. All right, let me go further with you. They've drunk from the wine of the wrath or fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. So let's break this down. Babylon's ordained end is announced first. God has ordained its ending, but I'm going to say that God is going to use the ten-nation alliance to destroy her by using their hatred for her because he's going to remove his restraint. Look back in uh, Revelation 17. Revelation 17. Pick up verse 16. 17, 16. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. Who's destroying Babylon? The ten-nation alliance. God doesn't have to. He's using their hatred by removing his restraint, and they're tearing Babylon up. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. They're doing it. He's not having to. He's just pulled his restraint back and said, go, take her. 
and they are destroying her. All right? Now, let her be. The reason is given. Every nation since the time of her appearance with Nimrod has drunk the wine of the uncontrolled orgy of passionate desire. The uncontrolled orgy of passionate desire. That's what the words mean. When you are drinking the wine of her fornication, you are drinking something that intoxicated you, something that made you go beyond what you would normally do, and it was an uncontrolled orgy. Just passionate desires. They wanted everything. Listen, do you remember when, uh, I'll just take uh, Achan. When Achan was, when they were taking uh, Jericho, and if they took Jericho, he said he looked, and there in his uncontrolled passion, he saw some symbols there, some silver there, some idols there, and he picked it up. And he took it back with him. And the children of Israel lost their battle the next time. And God said, why are you asking me what's going on? Somebody cheated. Find out who it is. So they find out it was Achan. And they wind up killing Achan and his family because Achan had done something he was not supposed to do. Everybody with me? It was an uncontrolled passion. It's that kind of uncontrolled passion. The uncontrolled passion when God sent quails into their number and, in, and before they could even get a chance to, to roast them, they are taking them, pulling the feathers off and eating raw quail meat. That's uncontrolled passion. You follow where I'm at? And he's saying that the nations of the world have drunk that and they have had uncontrolled passion. They had to take what every other nation had. And as soon as they saw it, they believed it was theirs. The spoils of war. So every nation drunk that. Then it goes on to say, not every individual, but every nation. You follow where I'm coming from? The Scriptures say it's every nation did that. Not every individual in the nation did that, but every nation did that. Going on further. The leadership of those nations has entered into a union with her intoxicated, uh, with her intoxicated by her pressure to have. So those, the leaders of those nations went beyond just drinking. Oh, no, they weren't, they weren't satisfied with that. They entered into a complete passionate orgy with her. They went into a complete fornication with her. They're making her their partner. That was the leadership. But go on further. It goes on to say, let's see, it says, the merchants of the earth became rich through the abundance of her luxury. So each of those nations, each of the merchants, they saw a good deal. They saw that if we go into this place, there's obviously stuff for the stealing, and we can sell everything we steal. There's, There's stuff that we can force them to make more of, and we'll become rich from that. You ever see where we're coming from? That's what they were doing. This is not about capitalism, kid. This is theft. And they're getting rich from it. They have used her to fulfill their greed more than they ever will use and use the conquered ones for gain. Let's go on then to verse 4. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive of her plagues. Here's a sad thing. The children of God have often mixed themselves with Babylon. It's easy to do. If you like comfort, if you like to have luxury, if you like to have things happen your way, it's easy enough to fall into that. And so they did. And God's calling on his people. And I'm just going to say this. This is what you see with Lot. Lot started out just on the pastures around Sodom and Gomorrah. And within just a few years, he's not in the pastures anymore. He's in the city. And it's not just that he's in the city. He's a leader in the city. That's what God's talking about here. They entered into a relationship that was wrong. God's people entered into a relationship with Babylon. There are times you can see that as you look back just in American history. You can see how the church joined up with merchants or the merchants joined up with them. And they went into a place and really sold the people, sold them out. 
for the sake of gain. History is not a fun thing to look at. But our Father is calling us to this. Don't make alliances with Babylon. Get out of her. Stop drinking her stuff. She's brutal. She's violent. She's a killer. And she'll destroy you. Let's go back to what we're supposed to do. And quit thinking that somehow what we're supposed to do is make any land we're living in prosperous. We're to do our work. And if by God's grace he prospers it, he prospers it. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the calling you've given to us as children of God. Teach us to be wise stewards of that which you've given to us. Teach us to love you with all our hearts. Forgive us, Father, when we have often loved the things of this world more than we have loved you. We recognize what it's cost us. Or I should say we're beginning to recognize the great cost it's been. Father, we don't want to lose any more of our children to this culture. We don't want to lose any more of our children away from the faith that could save them. Grant, Father, in Jesus' name, we might speak reality, we might speak truth, we might speak fact. And I'll thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, get about the business. You've got plenty of good things to do. You've already got a good location. good business that you're involved in, good work you're involved in, just get to work on it, okay? Just do as the scriptures say, whatever your hand finds to do, do it diligently. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just be about it. Let's let's get past the fear talk. Let's get past the fear stuff. Let's just get on to good, solid preparation for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We can do this. It's God's calling for us. It's God's power for us. Father, thank you so much for all that Jesus Christ is to us. Thank you for saving us and giving us a new life. Thank you for giving us the truth. We ask just now in the name of Jesus that you'll minister that truth to us in such a powerful way this this week, Father. Help our friends and our neighbors and those we come in contact with to know Jesus. Thank you that you're saving people still. In Christ's name, amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.